Do you like the show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. And welcome back to another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. And it is my favorite night of the week. And you know that music means it is Tuesday night and we are ready to talk about retro games. So Derek, tell me about your week. Well, I went to this really cool bar called The Wayward Kraken on Saturday. <laughs> so that, uh, that yeah. was... It's a place you've told me about, and you're, for for those who aren't in the know, uh, Steve Wise and I went to to hang out with you and several other people on Saturday night. So made the drive over to Biloxi. That place is really cool. It is awesome. And I uh, know we've we've talked about you know potentially doing uh, an episode of our show from there. Which now that I see it, I'm 100 percent for it. So oh yeah, I, that definitely needs to happen. Um, other than that, I know at the moment I'm. A little tired because i've been working outside all day so now that well the blue wahoos officially got eliminated from the playoffs sunday night so baseball is 100 percent done until april um so something that we've been doing at work is doing inventory on all of our equipment and some of that involves taking out hundreds of feet of camera and audio cable <laughs> running it and seeing how long it is so we can log it and that involves going outside in the heat for hours. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm pretty tired, I'm not going to lie. But still excited to do the show. And one cool thing that I actually put out today, uh, I'm, it's kind of difficult to, to say this type of stuff without sounding really like full of myself. <laughs> but Dude, go for it. <laughs> so... Another film festival update for the Parker Syndrome. There's this mm-hmm. uh, festival I found called the White Unicorn International Film Festival. And I submitted to it halfway because I thought the name was really awesome. And it was announced today that uh, Brittany Least and Jesse Hartsog, who played the two lead roles in that movie, won Best Actor and Actress for that festival for the month of August. So, so awesome. I, I'm I'm really excited for them that that they won that because... Yeah, I thought the two of them, and not to discredit the other actors in the movie, but those two, with them carrying the story, I thought did a, a really good job. So oh, yeah. it, it was cool to you know see them get recognized for it. That's fantastic, man. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, so I, I'm just, I continue to be blown away by the success and the, the support for the movie. It, it's just, anytime I get something, it, it's just even more humbling to me that you know it's it's vastly exceeding my expectations because i try to keep my expectations low when it comes to awards and that type of stuff so i didn't really have too much expectations of oh you know i think i'm gonna get you know 10 festivals yeah but you made a a really good drama with a complete story and with great cinematography great acting 
Like you did one of the bravest things I've ever seen in my life by doing that one tracking shot through the party that was like six minutes long. And I was just like, there is no way in hell I would try doing that on my first <laughs> film. And you did it and you won best director or best new director. I can't even like, I am so proud. Now, if we win the best sound category uh, i'm gonna pump my fists in the air be like i recorded it uh that that's that's coming at some point it'll it'll happen <clears throat> but um another cool thing that happened oh like you said we had it uh i guess i can go ahead and let everybody know we had my divorce party saturday night at the wayward kraken and uh a lot of good friends showed up we had a lot of uh a lot of tequila, <laughs> a lot of... Uh, that was good tequila. A lot of Coronas. I got the Cabo Wabo tequila. And uh, so uh, everybody should know by now I'm quite a Van Halen fan. And uh, Sammy Hagar actually created the Cabo Wabo tequila company. And I'd never had it before. So I got it for that very simple reason because, you know, I wanted to try it. I love Van Halen. I know he doesn't own the company anymore, but it's still, you know, they're, it's named after the song and the, the club that he owns in... Uh, down in Mexico, in Cabo San Lucas, which I'd like to get to one of these days and and watch uh, Sammy Hagar and his band play, but before he dies because he's like eighty now, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we had a lot of fun Saturday night, and I'm glad. Thank you to everybody that came, and um, also uh, some news on the other side of the the filmmaking um, of our hosts here. Uh, I just wanted to say that Servi has still been uh, doing the festival circuit, <clears throat> and uh, we just won, um, what was it, Best Fantasy Film at the uh, Florence Film Festival in Italy, Florence, Italy. And um, I would love to, to go to Italy to accept the award, but I don't think I'll be able to afford to do that right now. Yeah, Servi has just had an unbelievable run. Yeah, it was the Florence Film Awards that won Best Fantasy Film. Yeah, what's up, Turn it's, Up the Bacon? Turn Up the Bacon has joined us now. Yeah, welcome. No, it's Servi has had just an incredible run. <laughs> 30, what, 36 film festivals now? It's got to make it to 50. I told Steve Crazy. he cannot stop until he hits 50. It's like got to be a record. It's got to be. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... It's just absolutely mind blowing, and it's been going. You know, I know we shot it in 2017, and mm -hmm. I think it was fi the final edit was early 2018. So it's yeah. been in the festival <clears throat> run for at least a year, probably a year and a half would be a, a more accurate term for it. But. Plus, that was 40 pounds ago too, and uh, nobody recognizes <laughs> me when I go to the meet and greets now. <laughs> yeah, it was half the man I yep. used to be. It was about twenty for me. Yeah, <laughs> and half Which, of that was hair. Speaking of Servi, and we'll, yeah, half of that was hair. Um, we'll. There's actually a cool thing with both Servi and the Parker Syndrome that I, I've put in the show notes that we'll talk about uh, on the other side of the review. But a, a really cool thing that's actually coming up this weekend. Oh uh, yeah, well, uh, we'll mention that a little bit later in the show, so you guys can. Uh... Come see me and Derek this weekend, and we'll reveal that at the end of the show. So we'll we'll make you listen to the entire episode before we go into that. Is it too late for us to get a table and sign autographs? Maybe, or at least sign <laughs> copies of Link to the Past. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I'm pretty much ready to go into the news. What about you? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. 
This is from <clears throat> ExclusivelyGames.com. Uh, Nintendo is moving away from releasing monthly retro games. Following the, announce uh, the announcement and subsequent re release of SNES games as a part of the Nintendo Online subscription service, Nintendo also quietly announced a change in their retro gaming release schedule. <clears throat> An update posted to the Japanese version of the Nintendo website makes it very simple. Titles will be added irregularly instead of every month. Prior to this point, games have been slowly released a few each month. Now the cat is out of the bag and anything goes. We could see a lot more times like this where 20 games get dropped all at once, but that also means we could go months without seeing any new games. It is unclear why Nintendo is doing this. Um, do they want to avoid oversh overshadowing any new classic releases with larger Switch titles? Or do they want to give the team who works on the emulation systems a rest? Or are they just changing the system to change it? No one can say for certain. Um... I don't like this. I don't like the way Nintendo is treating the uh, the um, NES and SNES library on the Nintendo Switch Online. I wish they would do a little bit more of a regular schedule. I wish they would put out more games, but I don't know. I just <clears throat> Nintendo is not as famous for not doing things as we would expect them to. Yeah, this is similar to something they did with the Wii U back in the day where they just kind of released titles whenever they wanted. And I don't understand why they're downplaying their classic library because that's the backbone of that entire company because people yeah. associate Nintendo with the classic games. If you don't want to do titles every single week, it sucks, but it's whatever. But it could be one of those things that, yeah, one week they release 10 or 15 games, and then two months later they release three. Yeah. It just, it, it makes zero sense. They should come up with, to me, they should do it at the absolute worst. They should do it every other week. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I don't know what they're thinking with this whole thing. I mean, even if it was up to me, even if you don't want to do the you know the four games a month and and they're given they were giving us a lot of stuff like the the special edition titles that were already out you know like i don't know anybody that really wanted that like just give us the old games and you don't even have to give us four a month give us two a month or you know at least some sort of regular schedule where we could get um, especially a lot of the well-known titles. There are still a lot of titles that are have not been released, and a lot of stuff that, you know, oh, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff uh, for the Nintendo and Super Nintendo that just I feel should be online because there were, you know, at least 800 Nintendo-endorsed titles in the NES library, and we only have, what, like 50 Right or if even that on the the uh, Nintendo Switch Online, like come on Nintendo, there's a lot of games out there that need to be on this service. Well, I remember us talking about this over the weekend, and I think you put it best. Nintendo takes one step forward, and they take about five steps back. Yeah, and the way they went after all the emulators too. Like, yeah. if you're gonna go after all the emulators, then give us what everybody was pirating. Like, instead of, you know, like, if you're going to take it away, give us a way to get it. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. give us a legitimate way to play these games if that's what you want. I, uh, I don't understand Nintendo's thinking, especially Nintendo. I, I don't know. This is probably more of a Nintendo Japan type of thing. I don't think Nintendo of America w- w- thinks like this. I think more Americans more think this way. I just don't think the Japanese care about older stuff. I mean, look at look at how they treated the uh, you know the NES Classic and the and um, they they acted like nobody was going to want it, and then everybody wanted it, and then they and they sold out, and they were like, "Nah, we're not going to make it anymore." Like, why do you not want mm-hmm. our money, Nintendo? <laughs> do you hate American dollars that much? <laughs> we are begging you to take our money and you say no we're no, we're okay we're good yeah. i mean i understand that- nintendo has enough money that they could you know crash and burn the next 50 years and still have money to you know to burn but come on man just give us what we want see even luke's trying to get in on the conversation what's up <laughs> <Kiki>? <laughs> yeah it, it just it's one of those i feel like once a month or every other month we have one of these stories where nintendo just does something very baffling mm-hmm. and and this is it. it it just it absolutely makes zero zero sense what do you think luke do you think nintendo's being stupid yeah yeah, yeah. all right <laughs> <He> said, <laughs> which means yes yeah Let's go ahead and move on to the next story, because this is just going to aggravate me if we keep talking about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> same. So our next story comes to us from sci-fi.com. $9,999. Sega Dreamcast still as cool as ever 20 years later, and God, that makes me feel old. I know, really. It's been 20 <laughs> years to the day since Sega released its last video game console, and though it only lived a brief two years, the Dreamcast remains one of the most influential video game platforms in history. It was also just really damn cool. They tried to get a jump start on the next generation video game wars with the Dreamcast at the end of the 90s, dropping support for its previous console, the Saturn, and moving ahead with developing the Dreamcast, which aimed to beat Sony's PlayStation 2 to market. The timing worked, but a head start still wasn't enough to successfully compete with the behemoth PlayStation brand. With flagging sales and a lack of third-party support and PS2 selling like hotcakes, Sega pulled the plug on the Dreamcast in 2001 and shifted the company to software only. I remember owning a Dreamcast. Did you? I was going to ask yes. if you did. I never had one. Now, the Dreamcast was pretty cool. Uh, the only games that I really played for it were the Sonic ones. Even the god-awful Sonic Shuffle Party game where they tried to make the Sonic version of Mario Party. Yeah. And it failed miserably. Uh, but it says here the system came standard with the 56k modem and games such as Fantasy Star Online, Choo Choo Rocket, Quake 3, and the 2K Sports series. I forgot that um, it came I, with a modem built in. Yeah, I, I did too, to be honest. Do you really just think that this... I, I mean, it was out the same time as PS2, but do you feel like the Dreamcast was just a little bit too much ahead of its time? I think so. It was one of those things that... You look back at the PlayStation 2 and the lifespan of that thing was insane. Dude, they just stopped production on them, what, like four or five years ago? I mean, that thing had like a 15-year shelf life. Also the greatest DVD player of all time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) I still remember getting the PlayStation 2, and the very first DVD I rented was Charlie's Angels. (laughs) Nice. And I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) 
because it was the same thing as like when it was it came out with the PS3 and the Blu-ray. It was the yeah. cheapest DVD player on the market at the time. I mean, even though it was like three hundred bucks, DVD players were expensive. I mean, you're talking about this was the beginning of the DVD the DVD boom. Well, gamers could buy it because then it gave them an excuse to buy Blu-rays. Yeah. Because you know you could only watch a Blu-ray DVD with a Blu-ray Blu-ray player. Yeah. And with them being as expensive as they were, why not just shill out the extra money to get something you can play video games on? Exactly. You know, thinking about it, tonight would have been the perfect week for me to review Sonic Adventure for the Dreamcast. You should have, man. That you would have been have. perfect. <laughs> Maybe that'll be my next one. I'll be a little bit late to the party, but either way. No, the, the Dreamcast, you know, I wish I had played it a little bit more than I did. But what I did play, I enjoyed it. Do you think that cool Sega console. will ever try to dip their toe back into the console market? Or do you think they're pretty much done and they're just going to go software only? I mean, stay software only. I think it's probably best that they stay software only. I don't know. I, I mean, I so honestly think this the Genesis Mini is them kind of dipping their toe back in the water a little bit. Because if they can generate yeah. enough nostalgia for Sega products... I think that they, you know, if they could come out with a console as comparable to what Nintendo is doing with the Switch, like they're never going to be able to compete, you know, uh, hardware wise with like the PS5 uh, that's coming out or, you know, the Xbox, uh, whatever the next one is called. What mm -hmm. are you doing back there? <laughs> Making all kind of noise. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point because this was something that I wanted to talk about, but I forgot to put it in the Google Doc. So after the Nintendo Direct last week, Nintendo released Banjo-Kazooie on Super Smash Brothers. Like yeah. It was one of those things they said, you can download them as soon as this Direct is over. So I've been playing that game you know, quite a bit ever since then. And I read an interview with the creator of Banjo-Kazooie, and he brought up, the remakes of Crash Bandicoot and Spyro mm -hmm. and how well they've done. Because people have been asking him, you know, is there ever going to be another traditional Banjo-Kazooie game? And he said what he would like to see happen is Banjo-Kazooie and its sequel, Banjo-Tooie, get remade in the same way that Crash did with his original trilogy and the Spyro trilogy. Just to test the market to see would the demand be there. Yeah. I personally think it's a great idea. I think so too. I just I I would love it to be available for all consoles and I know Microsoft pretty much owns Rare but that's got to be a game that you could get on the Switch because Banjo-Kazooie was as I've said before one of my favorite Nintendo 64 games of all time. Well, and also, I think you got to well, give and I know Microsoft was all for letting Nintendo use the character in Smash Brothers. Well, that's what I was going to say. You know, Microsoft and Nintendo have been getting kind of buddy-buddy the last few months. Or, you know, when did all that start? A few months ago. You know, yeah. they were they were having closed-door meetings and all that kind of stuff. So I, what if they are coming back with some of those old rare titles? for you know bringing back some of that stuff for the nintendo switch because to microsoft it, it's that's just more money in their pocket yeah 
I mean, we're going to talk about one of those games tonight, actually. Actually, yes. I can't wait to get yeah. there. I can't wait to hear what you got to say about it. Yep. But uh, our last story for tonight is from uh, CNET.com. Arcade 1-Up Street Fighter Arcade Cabinet hits an all-time low of $187.50. Uh, they have an update. It is now expired. Oh, Womp, womp, womp. Womp, womp, womp. Damn, this, I just put this in the dock like last night. Um, it says, uh, yeah, it was just today only. That was yesterday. While supplies lasted, the cabinet went for $187.50. You could have picked it up at Walmart. Um, let's see. Home version of the Pac-Man cocktail table arcade game can be yours for 499 now that is what I would like to have. If that ever drops to below two hundred dollars, that is mine. Now that would be awesome to have. Now the the one I'm waiting for is Ninja Turtles. Yes. Um, so what do you, uh, what are your thoughts on these little consoles? Do you think they're going to start dropping in price? Do you think they're going to start losing? Uh, I mean, uh, eventually they're going to start, you know, not being as popular. Even though we're kind of in the we're in the retro gaming kind of boom right now, mm-hmm. so eventually these things are going to start slowing in sales, and the prices are going to start dropping. So, yeah. how long do you think before that actually happens? Oh, that's a good question. I would say probably within the next year, at least. You think that soon? Yeah. Hmm. At least, I, to me, if they, if people aren't buying them, then they're not really going to have much of a choice. Yeah, I could see them dropping to maybe two fifty. Yeah. I don't know if they'll go as far down as two hundred. Now, if if it goes to two hundred, then I'm getting one in a heartbeat. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, here's here's another question and an offshoot of this. I actually wanted to bring this up lately. Um, uh, you know how um. What do they call them? Uh, speculators start getting into collecting and into things like that. That's kind of what happened to comic books back in the 90s. You know, when they would sell millions of copies of something, it's because speculators would come in, start buying up all sorts of copies of everything, hoping that, you know, they're, what they own is going to be gold. And that's sort of been what's happening lately where these um, deep-pocketed collectors are starting to get into the retro gaming area now, specifically Nintendo. And what they're looking for is complete-in-box Nintendo games. And these games are going for tens of thousands of dollars. And do you think that's going to... I've already kind of seen this where... People think, like, there's only certain games that are going to go for that kind of price. Like, there are only certain kind of games that are going to go for hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars. Just because you have, you know, the gold cart Legend of Zelda doesn't mean some, that you can get 60, 70, 80 bucks for it. Like, that, those things were, you know, millions of those were made. So do you think that's going to really hurt us collectors, like just average collectors in the next couple of years? Because people are now going to think that, you know, their junk is worth way more than what it's 
actually worth? I think there's a good chance of that happening because as a spinoff of, you know, I know we recently did the wrestling episode, but that's something that's going on with scalpers in tickets for the AEW shows that have been happening. Really? Because every show they've done has sold out extremely quickly. But from what I've been reading, a lot of it is scalpers who will jump on, you know, Ticketmaster or, or wherever you can buy tickets for their shows. They'll buy them up and then try and sell them for, you know, twice the price. Yeah. Or whatever it is so they can make money off of it. And then that hurts the overall show because they've been still packed for the most part, but it's people having to pay, you know, way more than they should because people are cheating the system yeah. and trying to make, you know, quick money off of it. So I, I see similarities going on with, with what you were mentioning, but the, the short answer to your question is yes, I do think it will hurt because because that's the it's going to, it's going to skew perception and then it's going to hurt business in the long run. Like I remember, I mean, even up until just a couple of years ago, like I used to be able to go to the flea markets or, um, you know, estate sales and be able to pick up, uh, Nintendo games for relatively cheap, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I just a few years ago, like I found a Mega Man two paid like it was a perfect cart and I paid $5 for it, you know, like it wasn't a big deal. Like I don't mind paying, you know, anywhere from five to 10 bucks for a good copy of a Nintendo game. But like lately there's hardly anything like you can't find anything anymore. And when you do, like I, I went past one table here recently and all they had was they had one single really beat up copy of Legend of Zelda gold cart. And I think they were asking like $75 for it. I'm like, nobody's no. going to buy this. Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, that's no. an original Nintendo game. Like, so do you realize there was like 10 million of these made? I mean, even now, like I refuse to pay even like 50 bucks for it at, you know, at a retro gaming store. I'm like, this is not worth 50 bucks. Like everybody had one of these. Like, why is this $50 right now? And that's it's simply because, you know, they can get it because if you get somebody that, that doesn't know, or I, I don't know, this is kind of a really going to be a really long discussion, but I just think it's going to hurt in the long run, at least for the next couple of years with these speculators coming in, paying these high prices for these, you know, kind of rare games where they look like they're straight off the shelf. Like the, the plastic is still on them. The hook is still on the back. They've never been opened. Like I can understand paying, you know, hundreds or possibly thousands of dollars for, for some of the rarer titles. But mm-hmm. this is just going to cause people to think that, you know, just because they found a box of Nintendo games in their attic that, you know, they're sitting on a gold mine and we're not going to be able to find any more good deals anymore. And it's all because people have to suck. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know no, about I, you, but I, I, Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say I, I don't disagree with, with anything that you said. And it's, it's a shame because it, it affects people like you and I who like to go to our local store yeah. and 
try and find, you know, even if it's a game that we're reviewing or that we're buying strictly to review for this show. Yeah. Or it could be a game that we've looked for for a while and have found it, and it's going to be ridiculously expensive because some douchebag is cheating the system. Yeah, of course. Luke is really trying to be on the show tonight. I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> but uh, well, let's go ahead. Get him and... a microphone for next week. Yeah, no, I wish I wish I had a door to the upstairs. I would lock him out <laughs> like I used to be able to when I had a house. Oh, man. Let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. <laughs> Uh, in September of 1977, Atari releases the Atari Video Computer System, later known as the VCS, or Atari 2600 Video Game Console, alongside nine launch titles in the USA. Did you have a, a uh, Atari when you were a kid? 2600 to be exact? I did not, but my uncle did, or one of my uncles did. I played it very little, but I also recognize that this was a, a pretty pretty significant and pretty important event in video game history because yeah. you think of Atari as being, I mean, it's obviously pre-Nintendo, but, but it, it helped put video gaming on the map. Yeah, I remember we got one uh, for Christmas, 1983. And of course, this was right after the, uh, right as the, Right after the video game crash happened, so I imagine my parents probably picked up the Atari for pretty cheap, and uh, I remember us getting a bunch of games that Christmas too. We got like Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man. Um, I think we got Adventure and uh, Warlords and um, I think Missile Command. A couple bunch of other games. I remember getting ET too. I think we got ET either that year or the year after. For Christmas, um, <laughs> that was, uh, I still remember many frustrating days trying to play that stupid game. And, um, but we had a lot we of fun. We should it. We had a lot of fun playing with the uh, Atari when I was a kid. But man, it was like, once the Nintendo came out, it was like, I uh, the Atari just instantly became like a fossil. It was just like, I don't, I don't want to play this thing anymore. I want Nintendo. Like, you have an Atari. Like, you don't understand <laughs> <laughs> the Atari is nothing like the Nintendo. Nintendo is so much better. We should review the ET game one day. I'm I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> uh, I think it would garner some attention, at least. Yeah, maybe. Oh, I remember getting maybe River not in a good way, but I remember getting River Raid too. I always liked River Raid. That was a good game for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I don't think I've heard of that one. Yeah, then they released a sequel to it on the 2600 in like 1988 or something. I'm like, why would you do that? That's like, you know, three years after the, the official death of that system. Like, why would you even bother? Who knows? I don't know. On September 24th, 1982, Namco releases Pole Position, one of the first games with stereophonic and quadraphonic sound. Featuring a pseudo-3D third-person rear-view perspective, it becomes the most popular racing game of its time. If I'm not mistaken, we had pole position on the, on, uh, the Atari as well. Turn Out the Bacon says the Empire Strikes Back for Atari was awesome for its time. I still have that game. 
I have that and um, I think the first Star Wars game. I'll have to dig them out and uh, show them on the next stream. But I still have those. Nice. Yeah, well, those really were um, pretty good games. At Like you said, for the time. They're probably really bad now. I've never played Pole Position, but I would like to at some point. I mean, it's you can't beat a classic racing game. Oh, yeah. I wish we could find like an old... A, I wish somebody would just make like a good old retro arcade with like all early 80s, late 70s video games in it. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, September 19th of 1985, Capcom releases Ghosts and Goblins, originally titled Makimura in Japan. It was one of the most popular arcade games of the year and went on to spawn a series of later games. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I did Ghosts and Goblins for um, the NES and you reviewed, was it, is it Ghouls and Ghosts for the SNES? Super Ghouls and Ghosts yeah. for the Super uh, Nintendo. And uh, they're basically hard the game. same game, but um, and they're both equally frustratingly hard. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Probably, and those games are just masochistic because no, they are. You go through the whole game, you get to the end, you defeat the final boss, and guess what? That's not the end of the game. You got to go gotta through do the it all entire game again why would you do that <laughs> really why you could say that's one of the earliest examples of trolling that is insanity is what that is <laughs> or or that too <laughs> let's see september 26th of 1986 konami releases akumaho Dra dracula for the famicom disc system the first game in the castlevania series Ooh, let me look this up so this was just Castlevania. Yeah. Yep. Man, I cannot say enough good things about Castlevania. I love Castlevania so much, I want to review it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how much I love that game. But I'm going to do Castlevania 2 for Halloween Horror Month this year. It should be close to the premiere of the new Castlevania season on Netflix. We should be. It usually comes out in October, so we should be getting real yeah. close. I'm excited for that. Ah, that, that means I got to go back really and good. watch it all again to get get prepared for it. All. Oh, oh but, but that's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. September 28th, 1990, Capcom releases Mega Man 3 for the NES in Japan, introducing the characters Rush and Proto Man. Mega Man Slide is introduced. And, Cap and Capcom's character cameos. And I had always uh, forgotten that it, he didn't have his slide until Mega Man 3. And then, you know, Mega Man 2 was one of the first games that I actually reviewed for this, uh, for this um, show. And I had forgotten that the slide wasn't even in Mega Man 2. Like, that seems like, you know, has always been there. And it's an essential part of playing Mega Man. Like later on, it kind of feels weird to go back and play Mega Man Two and not have the slide. Yeah, there's a couple of games like that where the sequels have additional moves that, mm -hmm. like, you can't fathom. You know, not having because it's like in the original Sonic, he didn't have his spin dash. Yeah, and that wasn't introduced till Sonic Two. And you go back and play Sonic One, and you don't have it, and you're like, "What, what am I supposed to do?" 
And um, well, also, I was just thinking, um, like Ninja Gaiden Two, when they introduced the uh, the Shadow Ninjas. So um, every time you got the Shadow Ninja upgrade, you had two, you know, red Shadow Ninjas that would, you know, basically copy your every move. So you were just like ridiculously overpowered when it came to like boss fights and stuff like that. And playing that and two, you get so used to it. Then you go back and play the first game and you're like, God, I wish that was in this game too. Yeah. Uh, let's let's see. see. September 1st of 1995, Ubisoft releases Rayman for the PS1 and Sega Saturn. I remember briefly playing Rayman for, I think they released a title for the Wii U. Yeah. But when Rayman originally came out, I, I missed out on that whole craze. I mean, it, was, yeah. it was one of those that you felt like they were trying to potentially make another mascot type character, yeah. but well, I just never got into it. I didn't even know and had never even like Rayman wasn't even on my radar until um, Rayman Raving Rabbids. And I forgot what year that came out. Uh, let's see. Oh, the Rabbids. Yeah, I, it's not on here, but I know that they, they did Rayman Raving Rabbids. And that was the first I'd heard of them. And that really felt like, you know, they were really trying to push him as a mascot. And it just yeah. didn't work. Yeah. You're up next. All right, let's see. Um, September 10th of 1998, Spyro the Dragon is released for the PS1. I remember they had, um, uh, you know, kiosks and... Um, uh, what was it called? Toys R Us that you could go in and play different uh, game consoles. And they always had a Spyro the Dragon on the, uh, the, the PlayStation console. And that was the only time I ever played it was on the, uh, those kiosks. I never actually got to play it. Um, if you go back also, um, I forgot which episode it is for this, um, this show. We had Steffi Lou who on the show and she did a um, review of the Spyro re-release that they just came out with not too long ago. Funny enough, I've never played a Spyro game. Really? Yeah, with PlayStation, yeah. I was pretty much strictly Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, I figured this would have been something love their Spyro, that, but this would have been something that I thought would have been right up your alley because you would have been, you know, still right around that age. I would guess. Well, I don't know. You might have yeah, been I, out of it by then. I would have been. Let's see. That was ninety-eight. So I would have been twelve at the time. Yeah, you'd have been like right in there. Yeah. Yeah, I just never, never got around to playing Spyro. At some point, I might try out the the re-release trilogy, um, somewhere down the line, just to to try it out. But yeah, you know, I, I know people who like Spyro swear by it. Yeah, I mean, like it's they, still they a popular title. Apparently, it's sold a shit ton of the re-release. I wonder between that and Crash, I wonder if they are actually going to pull the trigger and create, you know, new games that are in that style. I mean, I, I would, I would love to see it. Like I would play a, a new crash game in a heartbeat. I mean, honestly they need to, because I'm, I have no interest in playing like, like, like don't get me wrong. I love playing RPGs, but you know, I don't really want to play first person shooters anymore. I really don't want to play like RPGs that are going to take me like 400 hours to finish. I just want like a good pop in play a level or two and then save it and come back later. 
You know, like that type of game. Yeah. And to close us out, on September 9th, 1999, we mentioned this earlier, but the Sega Dreamcast is launched in North America with 19 launch titles. I actually think, I know it might be a bit late, but I think for my next review, uh, in celebration of the Dreamcast, I will review uh, Sonic Adventure. That sounds good. Because that game, that game got a, a lot of flack that I don't think it deserved. Yeah. But I'll save that for another time. And I had no idea it launched with 19 titles. That's a lot. Usually consoles only launch with like you know three or four titles or you're like nintendo and with the gamecube and you release your best launch titles a month after the console actually comes out yeah because <laughs> that that happened with both pikmin and smash brothers melee because yeah. the the gamecube came out in november and i remember the the big game for it was luigi's mansion and then in December, they're like, oh, now we'll give you the, the games you actually want. Yeah. Which, Luigi's Mansion is, is a good game. That'll be a, one that I review, you know, at some point. But, you know, you think about it, that. There was a Nintendo system, which the same thing kind of happened with the Switch as well, but it did not launch with a Mario title. Yeah, that starred was weird. Mario. Yeah. The good Mario I mean, At least title, with the though. Switch, you had Zelda. Yeah. Still a damn good Mario title, though. I actually want to go back and play that again. Mario Odyssey. God, that was such a good oh, game. So fun. Oh, man. I, ooh, I love my Switch so much, I just want to, like, pet it and squeeze it. <laughs> I need to get the Super Nintendo games. Drink, Wally. Oh, the, <laughs> yeah, I, I downloaded the, uh, the SNES um, app last night and delved in a little bit. I, I started playing... Uh, Super Mario World and uh, played the first little, you know, island there. And I was like, man, I love this game so much. It, it's so freaking good. And, and the music Legend is so Zelda. catchy. I got Legend of Zelda linked to the past on there. I'm like, oh, my God. They're just trying to make me, like, have no free time. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go into our review for tonight... Derek is going to have a few shout-outs for us for our Patreon supporters. Yeah, so as always, we want to give a shout-out to uh, our Patreon subscribers, and tonight we want to shout-out Axeblade07, Chris Collingwood, Daniel Salmon, and Justin Olson. Thank you very much, you guys. And if you want to join those guys over on our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. <coughs> Excuse me, we have... You know, a one, a three, and a five dollar tier every month. And if you get us back up to that fifty dollar level, we will do an extra show every month. And if you want to know what kind of show that is, <coughs> excuse me, we um, you can go back and listen to our um, wrestling episode a few weeks ago. We had uh, Joey Image. Oh, and also wanted to say congratulations to Joey Image and his wife Angela. They just got hitched over the weekend. So Joey. Yes. No, you can't be here with us tonight because you're actually on your uh, your honeymoon. Uh, best of luck. Best wishes. I, I love you. And I uh, love you and Angela both. You are two of the best human beings on the planet. I can't wait to see you guys again. And uh, I could not be happier for you. No, absolutely. Congratulations. And uh, we had Wally on that episode as well. One of our best episodes ever. Also, our uh, commentary track for Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Uh, of course, The Wizard. And Super Mario Brothers, the, the, that episode is still probably my favorite episode of all time we've ever done. 
And um, Oh, I would agree with that 100%. We will do that every month for you guys as an extra episode if you get us back up to that $50 level. So tell your friends, tell your mother, tell your father, tell your grandkids, whoever. Go over there and give us a couple bucks a month. And thank you. Yes. And now I'm going to play this. got some cool ass music <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i was hoping you would pick that song oh yeah I, there, there's some good tracks to choose from but that one is just like man that is just uh, that, it's got just, that nice blend of like it's chill in a way yeah but also mm. like you feel like this little bit of a like sense of i'm about to go on a mission to yeah. kick somebody's ass like it's just got it's real moody and just like like very synthy and man i just i love the the music to this game all right so this week i'm going to be reviewing thank you and speaking about the patreon earlier i posted a poll a few weeks ago asking what do you guys want my next review to be for nerd cave retro and the winner was the game that i will be reviewing this evening perfect dark for the nintendo 64 it is a first person shooter developed by rare and released for the N64 video game console in 2000. It's the first game of the Perfect Dark series and follows Joanna Dark, an agent of the Carrington Institute Research Center, as she attempts to stop an extraterrestrial conspiracy by a rival corporation, Datadyne. So when this game originally came out, you know, I, this was not too long after I had discovered E3. Uh, I think I had discovered E3 in like 97 or 98. Like when the internet was really first becoming like a big thing as far as commercially goes. Yeah. One of the first things I discovered was IGN. And I followed IGN religiously. And I always look forward to E3. And, you know, GoldenEye had come out uh, in 97. And we've talked about the success of that game. And I remember it having. It held the number one spot of best-selling Nintendo games in Nintendo Power Magazine for over a year. Wow. <laughs> it, it beat out so many great games because people loved GoldenEye. Yeah. You know, we've talked about the multiplayer and how it brought a lot of people together and just so many people played it. And even, you know, the, the storyline, even though it followed the movie, it was still really fun to do. So Rare had announced that they were going to be doing a game similar to GoldenEye. And what they unveiled was what became Perfect Dark. And I remember thinking, you know, I was excited for it because believe it or not, I'm not much of a first-person shooter kind of guy. You know, I loved GoldenEye when it came out, and I partially played it, I will admit, because of the hype that was around it. I felt like I had to be a part of it. Yeah. And then Halo came out in the early 2000s and fell in love with that, but... Perfect Dark was a game that kind of went under the radar, I feel like. You know, not a lot of people talk about it because I think because GoldenEye and Halo and other first-person shooters are held in such high regard. Yeah. 
that no one really talks about it. But I remember the gameplay was very similar to GoldenEye in a way, and like the way you play it is very similar, but it has an original story, which the more you dive into it, the more that, you know, I actually liked it. And looking back on it and playing through it, you know, over the last few days, the story, and this is such a cliche saying it at this point, because I feel like everybody thinks of a certain property and is like, oh, this would make for a good movie or this would make for a good series. This truly would make for a good spy espionage movie in the style of James Bond. Oh, yeah. And especially with, you know, the the latest influx of the strong female characters, the fact that the protagonist is a female and the fact that she's badass (laughs) would make it would make for a really good movie. But this was a fun game to to go back and, and rediscover. It was made as a spiritual successor to Rare's 97 first-person shooter, GoldenEye. It shares many features with its predecessor and runs on an up, upgraded version of its engine. And something that was a feature that came along later in the N64's life, and there's a funny story that I have behind it in a second, was the expansion pack that you plugged into the front of the N64 and basically... Um, it was the only way you could access the campaign and most of the multiplayer features. So the other day, I plug in Perfect Dark because miraculously, I already had a copy of the game. So I plug it in, and then I see the like this little loading screen comes up, and it says expansion pack not detected. <laughs> and I'm like, crap. <laughs> so sure enough, I go in, and you can do very limited multiplayer. So luckily, I have Price Busters, a retro gaming store we have here in town, is right down the road from me. So I went in. They had two expansion packs left, so I got one of them and then was able to play the game. Awesome. How much was the expansion pack? uh, More than I would have liked to have paid for it. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, but it was like, I kind of have to have it. And the other store that I go to wasn't open, so it's like, well... (laughs) I pretty much have to buy it, so I did. It's uh, it's fine, you know. It's yeah. it, it's not in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge deal. But talking about the campaign, because I'll be honest, I never really delved into the multiplayer that much because growing up an only child, I had limited experience with multiplayer games in general. I mean, I have to have a group of friends over, and no one really played this game that I knew besides me, so kind of glossing over the multiplayer aspect of it, which is unfortunate. My brother uh, features was a campaign the one that got mode. me into this game. Um, <clears throat> this was one of the games he had for his uh, for his N64, and he let me borrow it for a while, and then I ended up getting my own copy of it because I liked it so much. And then, um, you know, I, like I said, I haven't played this game and can't remember the last time I played it, but, man, I remember I loved this game back in the day. Oh, yeah. So it features a campaign mode where a single player controls the game's protagonist, Joanna Dark, through a series of levels collected together into missions. In each level, the player must complete a series of objectives while opponents controlled by the game's AI try to hinder the player's progress. So basically what you do is you start off with a single objective in this one area. 
once you complete it, you get another objective. So say where you go deeper into, you know, Datadyne's uh, headquarters, then you complete another objective. And then when that happens, I, I'm using the first mission as an, as an example. Once you complete objective two, then you have to escape. Then you complete that entire mission. So there, there's basically phases to different areas that you go to. Yeah. And the, the story actually becomes pretty interesting because when you look at it, you don't think that there's extraterrestrial, you know, an aspect to it. It almost has James Bond with a little bit of an X-Files type of twist to it. And that's cool. Yeah, so uh, kind of diving into a little bit of the story of the game. Perfect Dark is set in 2023, which crazy enough, we're not too far from, against the backdrop of an interstellar war between two alien races. The Mayans, not to be confused with the ancient tribe who predicted the end of the world, <laughs> who resemble your typical gray alien. So pretty much the typical example you've seen of an alien with like a giant head, yeah. giant black eyes, small body. That's what they look like. You have those, and then you have the Skadars, who are reptile-like creatures who use a cloaking device to appear as Nordic men. Using this device, they can interact with humans on Earth without appearing overly suspicious. But meanwhile, on Earth, there's an ongoing rivalry between two factions, the Carrington Institute, which is a research center founded by Daniel Carrington that secretly operates as an espionage group in league with the Mayans, and Datadyne, a defense contractor corporation headed by Cassandra DeVries. I'm sure I'm probably pronouncing that name wrong. DeVries. But in exchange DeVries, yeah. In exchange for creating an AI capable of cracking an alien spacecraft buried on the bed of the Pacific Ocean, the Skadar have agreed to supply Datadyne with enough alien technology to become the biggest corporation on Earth. It sounds like an episode of the X-Files, doesn't it? Does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the X-Files movie. Yeah. <clears throat> so Joanna Dark, she earns the name code name Perfect Dark because she had excellent scores in her training. So she's basically the top agent of the Carrington Institute. So you start off as her and you complete these different objectives and different missions and different twists happen along the way. And the coolest character, at least in my opinion, was you have to rescue a Mayan protector named Elvis, <laughs> named after Elvis Presley. And so you basically, you spend a good portion of the game with this alien named Elvis. And he actually has a really cool personality, which then makes me think of the movie Independence Day. Mm. So it's almost like a nice twist of 90s sci-fi is rolled into a spy espionage type game. And it turns out the this doctor that you think you're rescuing in the um the the first uh, mission who's a defector from Datadyne who ends up basically being an artificial intelligence because in the beginning of the game it's noted that you couldn't that no one could find any files any photos or anything about Dr. Carroll and it it's because he's literally a computer <laughs> so then you you have to protect him and then, you know, things go on from there. And there are other twists that happen along the way. I won't delve, you know, completely into the full story, but it, the story is much more interesting than what you might think. Like it's much more than 
a typical first person shooter. Why is which this I, I really, really like because growing up, as I said earlier, as an only child, I was drawn to the story aspect of games more so than the gameplay. And this story really drew me in. And I remember completing this game a long time ago, and I didn't have time to complete it before I did this review. But it 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 plays out like a movie, and it's really, really cool. And it's a shame that this game didn't get the credit that it deserved, or it doesn't hold up in modern discussion as far as games go. Yeah. And I think, as I said earlier, it's because it was in a way the spiritual sequel to GoldenEye. And people love that game. And, uh, you know, the plot of this game, like, I'm, I'm actually, start, it's starting to come back to me now. Like, this was in the height of, you know, X-Files. Like, this was, the, the movie had just come out the year before, and, like, X-Files, X-Files was still just, like, <clears throat> like, the best t- show on TV at the time. So... There was a lot, and I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, there was just so much, like, UFO stuff back in the mm-hmm. 90s. Like, it was, like, just so integrated into pop culture. Like, I I would love to have a complete, like, just redo of this game, like uh, like they did with Resident Evil 2, just completely go back take pretty much the same game but just upgrade it graphically add a couple of new things to it keep the same you know the exact same storyline just make it for today you know with with you know the unreal engine or something just completely just yeah. give us a a whole new version of this game i would buy it day 1 and I never understood why this game never got like the accolades it deserved. You know, like it, it just never became quite as popular. It was so overshadowed by, you know, like uh, I guess GoldenEye, which had come out what the year before, and then you know, yeah, like three years before, yeah, yeah, like three years before, and then around this time, you know, Halo's about to drop, and. That really kind of, I guess, overshadowed it. But I, I don't know. Like, there was just... I don't know why people didn't latch on to this game like they should have. Because this game deserved to be one of those games that was just, like, you know, sold 10 million copies or something. Like, it's just... It's a damn shame <laughs> this game didn't do as well as it should have. Well, the thing that didn't help either was that it came out near the end of the N64's life cycle. Yeah, true. I... Because the N64 ended in 2001. This came out early summer, late spring of 2000. Yeah, this should have come out on the GameCube. This should have been one of the GameCube. A launch Cube, title. Yeah, a launch title for the GameCube. I think it sort of, it's, it's, it's sort of uh, got the same fate as, you know, like, Star Tropics and Star Tropics 2. Like they put out Star Tropics 2 at the tail end of the NES cycle when nobody was playing NES anymore and it just died on the vine. And that's pretty much what happened with Perfect Dark. This yeah. should have been a GameCube title. No, I, I completely agree with that. Or, or, worst case scenario, if you still release it on the N64, port it over to the GameCube as a launch title because they did the same thing with with Breath of the Wild, yeah. they still released it for the Wii U, but had it as a launch title for the Switch. And even previously, 
they did it with um, Twilight Princess, where it was one of the last games to come out for the GameCube, but also a launch title for the Wii. Yeah. So they they should have done that. And I I think it would have sold better on the GameCube and honestly might have helped sell more consoles. I think so, too. Like, this was... Like, imagine playing this game with, you know, dual analog sticks, like, on the GameCube. Oh, my God. Oh, it would have been so much better. Like, it... Oh, and that... That it, was another thing too. Playing it with the controller was not fun. I was gonna ask, how did it hold up with that N sixty four controller? Really? Not great. No. Which Jeez. is the game was still a lot of fun, but that controller just takes some getting used to. That's why I think it would be a mistake to put out an N sixty four mini. I know people want it, and they, they you know they have a lot of nostalgia for it, but I think people have really forgotten how awful that controller was. Yeah, and I'm reminded of it anytime I do a review of an N64 game. <laughs> That's why I don't like reviewing N64 games. I hate that controller. Now, onto a lighter note, as far as the acclaim that it got, it, it was well-received when it came out because it says here, upon release, Perfect Dark received critical acclaim and sold relatively well, eventually joining Nintendo's Player's Choice game selection. Although critics widely praised its graphics, AI, and number of multiplayer options, they frequently criticized its occasional frame rate drops. Which, from what I played of it, I personally didn't have those issues. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. It also received the BAFTA Interactive Entertainment Moving Images Award. Got us a mouthful. For 2000s and the Golden Satellite Award for Best Interactive Product in 2001. It's occasionally cited as one of the greatest video games of all time. A remaster also titled Perfect Dark featured enhanced graphics and online multiplayer was released in 2010. I wonder if that's on Steam. Uh, I hope so, because I don't remember them doing a re-release of this. I don't either. I know they did a prequel for Xbox 360, I think, titled Perfect Dark Zero. I do remember that. I don't remember yeah, them it, doing a re-release. Of it was this. released as a it was released as a launch title for the Xbox 360 in 2005. It received generally positive reviews, but some publications felt it did not meet their expectations. I never played the prequel. I'll be perfectly honest. It wasn't from like a lack of interest. It was just something that I never got around to. Yeah, I'm gonna try to look on Steam real quick and see if I can. But listen to some of these reviews. All Game gave it four and a half out of five stars. Electronic Gaming Monthly, 29 and a half out of 30. Game Revolution, A minus. IGN, 9.8 out of 10. Nintendo Power, 9.6 out of 10. And the Electric Playground gave it a perfect 10. Uh, it is not on Steam. I do not really? see it. Nope. Then what did it? I wonder if it might have come out on. Hmm. I mean, what would it have come out on? Oh, I see what it is. A remaster of the game was released in 2010 for the Xbox 360 through its live arcade. They did the same thing with Banjo Kazooie. So that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Oh, here's an interesting thing. I actually didn't know this. Shortly after Perfect Dark was released, Rare planned to develop a sister title called Velvet Dark for either the N64 or its successor, the GameCube, but it was ultimately abandoned. The name Velvet Dark references Joanna Dark's alleged sister, 
who is the character players assume the role of in the game's co-op mode. Would have been interesting to do a, a yeah, follow-up. That would have been great. Yeah. I really do think they need to put out a new remaster of this game in the Resident Evil 2 style. Or come up with a new game. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think, do do a, a sequel to it. I think the story holds up. It, no, it really does. It really does. And it, it's something that, you know, to me is, is a gem of an N64 game. Yeah. And it, it just once again shows that marriage between Rare and Nintendo back then was so good. Yep. Even the games that didn't do that well are still better than most of the games that w- was out for the system. <laughs> I mean, that those reviews are better than some of like the Mario and Zelda games. I know. That's insane. This was a really but, good game. I remember playing the hell out of it back, mm-hmm. back then. Um, at least for a good year. Uh, well... A good year or two because I didn't actually get an Xbox until like 2003, I think it was, when I finally got an Xbox. And mm-hmm. um, so I had my Nintendo 64 up until then and was playing, you know, this and Resident Evil 2, um, Shadows of the Empire, all that stuff. I was still playing around that time. Yeah. No, but as far as. Uh... My overall thoughts on the game, I really enjoyed going back and playing it. It was one that I'll say I'm guilty of as well. I, It's a game I don't really think about when I think of the, the great N64 games. But it was a lot of fun to go back and revisit. And it would be cool if if this continued partnership between Microsoft and Nintendo continues. I think the next natural step is to re-release a lot of those classic games that people have such fond memories of. Because how well do you think a remastered GoldenEye would do? Oh, man. It'll never happen because they won't be able to get the license for it. But No, but just in theory, it would would be awesome. It would do gangbusters, man. Yeah. And I think, you know, Perfect Dark would do the same as well, and it could just be reintroduced to a whole new generation. Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's... And again, with the the strong female characters, like, to me, it the story still holds up. You have a strong protagonist character that I think people would get behind. Joanna Dark should be just as well-known as Laura Croft. That's yes. just my opinion. No, I, I agree. I very much agree. But as far as this game goes, you know, I'll say I struggled a bit in the beginning, one, getting used to the controller again, and two, I'm just not that good at first-person shooters in general. But I still have fun playing it. Mm-hmm. I I would give this game probably... I'd say... Oh, screw it, I'll give it a nine. Awesome. It, it, was, it was that good, and, and for... For an N64 game, the graphics are not bad. And that, you know, I think this is actually, if you're going to have an N64, there are a couple titles that you actually absolutely have to have for the N64 if you want that complete experience of the N64. You know, definitely Shadows of the Empire is up there. You know, Mario 64, uh, Perfect Dark, um, let's see, Banjo-Kazooie. Um, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. Um, 
couple other games I'm trying to think. I can't think right now. Uh, definitely the Star Wars games, like the Rogue Squadron. You know, oh, Rogue Squadron was great. That was a great game. Like there are just certain titles for the N- the N64 didn't have as big a library as a lot of the Nintendo systems. You know, like the the SNES or the regular Nintendo. Uh, even the GameCube, I think, didn't the GameCube have more games than the N64? I I'd think to, you might be right. I'd have to look that up, but I think the N64 only had about 250 titles, if I'm not mistaken. Didn't have that many. Let's see. Let's see. Nintendo games. Let's see if there's like a compiled list of yeah. all consoles. Um, List of... So these are NES games. Alright, see the N64. Good God, there was a total of 716 NES games. Yeah, I saw, and that's just the licensed games, or the Nintendo, you know, official Nintendo games. Uh, there were and two, there are 179 unlicensed NES games. Yeah. Uh, there were 296 N64 games in total. Let's see. Right, I'll look up GameCube. Alright. List of Nintendo... GameCube games. Da, da, da. All right, how many? Uh, how many did you say were for N sixty four? Two ninety six. Oh yeah, GameCube had six hundred and fifty seven. Yeah, I knew it was probably more. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of games. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. So I think probably the N sixty four had the least amount of. <clears throat> titles for it than any other console for Nintendo. Maybe the Wii U. I put an asterisk by Wii U because no one counts that. Yeah, let me look that <laughs> up real quick just to see. Uh, 764 games for the Wii U? That's blasphemy. That cannot be right. I don't believe that. How many games I feel like the fix is in with Nintendo. I feel like they put that number in themselves. Oh, here it is. Uh, <clears throat> the date to date, um, as of July twenty seventh, two thousand sixteen, there were only thirty nine games. Uh, third party have released one hundred eighteen. So what's that like? One hundred sixty games. That's sad. Yeah, that's really sad. I mean, I didn't dislike the Wii U. I just felt like it was a pointless console. But that's just me. Yeah. Well, it was that in-between console where they, you know, were yeah. testing out <laughs> the 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 natural progression between the Wii and the Switch. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, if you find a per- a copy of Perfect Dark, which they're not that expensive, I saw one actually at Price Busters yesterday for like it's like seven to ten bucks. Yeah. So it's really not the and and that's worth it to be honest. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably got a, a good copy is going to cost you around ten bucks. Yeah. But but um, definitely get it. A very very fun game. I was happy to go back and and revisit it. And let's start the petition for a perfect dark movie. Let's do that. <laughs> um, but that brings us to the end of the show. And uh, Derek, would you like to give the congratulations to one of our listeners? Yes. Yeah, so I wanted to give a congratulations to Brandon Rutledge, who's been a longtime supporter of this podcast. 
Uh, he and his wife welcomed their first child, Todd Rutledge, into the world last week. Weighed eight pounds and eight ounces. So, That's so awesome. congratulations to the happy parents. And uh, yeah, if, it seems like most everyone I know is either getting married or having children. Welcome to that age. <laughs> yeah. But no, congratulations to to Brandon. That That's awesome. Yeah, I'm at the age now where my friends have kids who are graduating high school, and that's awful. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, we did want to uh, have one more thing we wanted to tell everybody about the screening this weekend for Survey and uh, the Parker Syndrome <clears throat> this weekend. At, let me pull it up here. Whoever gets there first can. Uh, <laughs> oh, can... I've got it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this upcoming Saturday, September 14th at 7 p.m. at Sam's Fun City in Pensacola, we will be doing a triple header of local films. It's going to start off with the premiere of The Verso Verdict, which was directed by Nick Smith, who was one of my crew members for The Parker Syndrome. Um, and funny enough, Kevin Almodovar, who shot both Servi and the Parker Syndrome, shot this film as well. So wow. we might as well call it Almodofest yeah. is the name <laughs> that I'm going to push for it. Uh, so that, that'll be exciting. Uh, it's a sci-fi short. Uh, so that this will be the first time that anyone's ever seen it. So that'll be exciting. And I think Nick's going to do a quick Q&A after the film is over. After that, we'll be doing a screening of the Parker Syndrome. I'll be doing a quick Q&A after that. And then the the main event, if you will, will be a screening of Survey. After that, the, the cast and crew will be doing a Q&A. But as a bonus after that, and I'm excited for this because I love a good black and white movie. Mm. We're going to be doing a special black and white 3D screening <laughs> of survey that is so awesome i cannot wait <laughs> i know it's gonna be so much fun oh, it's gonna man. be even like a, a mini festival in its own way so uh, if you're in the pensacola area definitely come out uh, to sam's fun city on saturday at 7 p.m uh, and support your local filmmakers Yes, come on out, everyone, if you're in the Pensacola area or within a five-hour driving distance. Just come on down and uh, celebrate whether, with us. Whether you're, whether you're in Pensacola or in California, yeah. you can make the drive. If yeah. you leave now, you'll have time. Yeah, if you leave now, you'll be... If you live in L.A. or you know San Francisco, if you leave now, you'll be here by Saturday. And I'm fairly confident that I, I, I'm probably going to wear the famous Hawaiian shirt. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I got to get a picture with the, the Derek Diamond um, Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, I mean, we, we got to take a photo anyway. I feel like we should have taken one on Saturday just to post on the Nerd Cave Retro Social because we the, the actual face-to-face -face meetings, I feel like, are few and far between. I know. I, well, I was a little bit uh, schnookered <laughs> Saturday night, so. I would have been at that point had I taken that, you know, one other shot with you. Yeah. Even after, I felt that first one because <laughs> I've become such a featherweight that even after that first shot, I was like, I don't know if I need to have any more. Yeah, I, I'm a but luckily I didn't drive, so I'm a featherweight, and I uh, I downed a lot of it that night, so I was still feeling it. On I'm actually probably still feeling it now. So, <laughs> yeah. well, it's your party, so you yeah. you should have. 
It's my party, and I'll cry if I want to. Exactly. And uh, anything else you want to throw out there before we leave tonight? Um, other than that, just be sure to check out the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. I had the season premiere last week, so um, for the foreseeable future, it is back on a weekly basis. You can check that out on Spotify and Apple Podcast, and you can follow it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. Yes, and uh, I think uh, if you want to just follow me, it's at JFunktastic over on Twitter. That's where you can find out everything I'm doing. And uh, I'm tweet go Jason ahead. your guilty pleasure song. Yes, do that. I'm trying to make a, a playlist of, for myself of uh, guilty pleasure songs, uh, so I can listen to throughout the day. Now, I will say the one that I sent you. In my mind, there's nothing guilty about it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would. T- t- I would say oh, my guilty pleasure song, but I don't know if you're ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Oh, it's uh, um, "Our Lips Are Sealed" by the Go Go's. I don't know what it is about that. Oh, there's stupid t- hey, song. there's nothing wrong with the Go Go's. <laughs> I love it. It's my guilty. Nothing pleasure. wrong. Every with time that. it comes on, like a, a retro station, or if I'm listening to like the '80s station. It pops on, and I'm like, Alex, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, mine, for those who don't follow Jason on Twitter or haven't seen it, mine is A Kiss from a Rose by mm-hmm. Seal, notably yeah. from the Batman Forever soundtrack, which is super underrated, and I, I will actually defend that movie. That's a great soundtrack, and I love that movie. Dude, I saw that movie like four times in the theater. I don't care what anybody says. That was a good Batman movie. It also has the, that song also sparked the greatest music video of all time. Yes, it did. <laughs> now, for those who are wondering, I've never seen the music video. It's literally Seal singing in front of the bat symbol mm-hmm. or bat signal with footage from the movie spliced in. Yeah, it's a great video. That is it. But, but it's great. <laughs> it's great. I love it's it. awesome. And then go back and watch Batman Forever and realize that it was not that bad of a movie. It was actually pretty good. It's really not. I it's really it. not. Now, Batman and Robin stay away from because that was an awful pile of shit. But just watch the Mister Freeze moments on YouTube. You know what? You know what we could do? do if you get us back up to that fifty dollar level. I will say right now, we will get Wally and Joey back on the show, and we will do a commentary track for Batman and Robin. We will do that for you. Oh. <laughs> is that in my contract? Yes, it is. You have to do oh. it. Oh, that's that duties as otherwise assigned clause. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. No, no. Actually, episode. that that would be a lot of no. If if I will be adamant about doing the Mario Brothers movie, then mm. I have to go along with Batman and Robin. Yeah, that movie's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. But not in a good yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> it's the hockey team from hell. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I to see you. Oh man. <laughs> I'm gonna get a lot of good clips from that movie. Oh, that's a gold mine of clips. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah, we have to do that. Like, my wheels yes. are turning now. So let's go ahead and get yes. out of here. We're already at an hour and 20 minutes. We hope you guys appreciate this extra long episode this week. We're, we're doing this for you. Yes. But let me go ahead and play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We're at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. 
individually at jfunktastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're at Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And also, if you can't leave give us a buck a month or a couple bucks a month on Patreon, leave us a review wherever you listen to the show, especially on Spotify. If you listen to us on Spotify, leave us a review. So I think that's going to do it. So Derek, please tell them what it's all about. Monkey!